Thanks so much for joining us today. We would love to know how this ministry is touching your life. Please take a moment and visit mpcocala.com stories to tell us your story. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry financially, you can give online or through our mobile giving app. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Well, if you are joining us tonight for the first time, my name is Lee Gilligan. I'm one of the assistant pastors here, and it is uh, always my privilege to be able to share with you. Uh, There's some other guy here tonight, uh, Pastor Tim. You all might know him, (laughs) but he's just receiving tonight, so I'm glad he can do that. Um, I wanted to open with a, a joke tonight. Is that okay? I, I believe laughter is the best medicine. A, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. And, you know, I always try to incorporate humor into teaching because it's fun to laugh at myself. Um, it's fun to just laugh in general. And usually I, I tell stories or observational humor. Not usually do I share like a standalone joke. But I heard this the other day. It was, I thought it would be good pulpit humor. And so I figured why not, all right? So there's this plane, and, this, and it's going to crash. And there's four people on board, and there's only three parachutes, okay? So if they're, if they're going to survive, these people got to jump off, but they've only got so many parachutes. So the first guy gets up, and he says, I'm the leading heart surgeon in the world. Um, I, I'm the leading heart doctor. My patients need me. There's people depending on me, so I need this pack. And so he, he straps it on, and he jumps out of the plane. The second guy gets up and he says, I am the, I'm a a rocket scientist. I am the smartest man in the world. There's people who are depending on my wisdom and my knowledge and and I need this pack. And so he puts on the second pack and he jumps out of the plane. So there's two people left, one pack left, one parachute. And so the third person gets up and it's the Pope. And uh, he he says, he he looks to the fourth person who's a 10 year old boy scout and he says, son, I've, I've lived a long life. I'm getting older. I'm frail. I've accomplished a lot. I've made a difference. And I, and I want to give this last pack to you. And the 10-year-old Boy Scout looks at the Pope and, and he says, don't worry, sir. There's still two parachutes. The smartest man in the world just jumped out of the plane wearing my backpack. <laughs> I mean, it, it's kind of cheesy, but it makes you laugh. And, and I got it from Joel Osteen. And so, you know, when, when Joel's up there smiling and telling stories and jokes, when he tells it, you know, I, you watch it on TV, you hear 35,000 people laugh. I said, well, if they all laugh, it'll work for the midweek crew at Meadowbrook. So, but being real, you know, that smartest man in the world, if that was a true story, jumping out of that, that plane with that parachute, what he thought was a parachute, he had good intentions, but the outcome probably wasn't what he intended it for it to be, right? We in life have good intentions. We, we intend for, for certain things to happen, but a lot of times what we say or what we do or the fruit we see end up coming in our life doesn't always match what our intentions were. And um, if we're not careful, what ends up happening a lot of times is that we judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge other people by their behavior. Did y'all get that? We judge ourselves by what we intended to happen or what we intended to take place, but we're very quick to judge other people by their behavior. In other words, we, we extend grace to ourselves very easily, but we are very quick to judge others more harshly. We, we were all guilty of that. And, and I think a good rule of thumb, a good way to live life is that we should always extend the same grace that we would like to receive in return. We, we, who wants to receive grace? We, we have received grace, okay? God has shown us great grace. And the same grace that we have received, we should extend to others in hopes that others would extend grace to us. 
But a lot of times that's not the case. We're, we're quick to judge. We give ourselves a pass, but we're quick to judge others. Arguments are, are a great example of this. Have, have you ever been in an argument? Okay. Are, is anyone here married? All right, you've, you've been in an argument. <laughs> Me and my wife, we, we are married seven years now. And so from time to time, we have disagreements. It's just part of it. And, um, you know, every time in that argument, I am fully convinced that I am right. That, that my point of view or what I'm saying, it is right. But in the, in the same token, on the, on the flip-flop, she's fully convinced that her point of view is right. That's how arguments are. That's why you're arguing. There's a disagreement and no one's willing to budge. We are quick to justify our stance or our point of view, our side, but we're quick to vilify the other person. And as you know, the key to any good marriage is that you eventually make a little compromise and you meet in the middle and kind of talk through it. But I believe Jesus has a lot to say about often the way we judge ourselves by our intentions and, and judge others by their behavior. He, he had stuff to say about how we judge others just in general. And so if you have your Bible with me today, I want you to go with me to Luke chapter 6, and we're going to read verse 37 through 42. Luke 6, verse 37. Jesus says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And then he also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? And then he kind of takes it up a level. Get this. He says, you hypocrite. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. We are quick to judge ourselves by our intentions and judge other people by their behavior. We're, we're quick to point out where others are wrong. Jesus uses this simple but amazing illustration to show how often we will notice a speck We'll notice some bad fruit. We'll notice stuff in other people's lives, but we kind of ignore the log that is protruding out of our own eye. And and so what Jesus, in essence, is saying is we've got enough going on right here and here and in here and what's going on around us. We've got enough to worry about that we don't need to be spending all of our energy and our efforts trying to correct or fix everyone else around us, right? Right? We, we've got enough going on. We are a full-time job. We are works in progress. And, and if we are spending all our time trying to fix everyone else or point out where their shortcomings and their downfalls are, we're never going to change ourselves. In fact, what Jesus is saying is you'll, you'll never be any good to anyone if you don't first notice the log that, that's in your eye. Sure, we, we want to maybe hold people accountable or help them through things, but if we're not maintaining ourselves, what good are we to anyone else? We have to shift the focus from others to ourselves. And Pastor Tim has taught our staff for years that our main ministry is our own spiritual progress. Your main ministry must be your own spiritual progress, your spiritual growth. Because if you're not growing, if you're stagnant, what difference are you going to make in someone else's life? How, how are you going to help anyone else if you're not growing or working on what's here first? Amen? 
we have to first focus on ourselves. And I don't mean that in a selfish way, but I mean we've got to hold our heart in check. We have to keep ourselves healthy. We have to guard our soul. We have to make sure that we are pursuing righteousness. And, and, and so that, that would mean shift the focus from others to yourself. Don't go around just pointing out everyone else's flaws. But what happens is we tend to judge the bad fruit in others and ignore it in ourselves. Okay, tonight I'm going to talk to you about fruit. We judge the bad fruit that we see in others, but we often ignore it in ourselves. Do you know why that is? It's because it's easier to deflect than it is to self-inspect. It's easier to deflect onto someone else or to project your issues onto someone else. If, if we're focusing on someone else or something else, we don't got to worry about what's going on here. It's a distraction. It's, it's something to take us off what we really need to be focused on. And, and, and self-inspection and analyzing, that takes work. But it's easier to just deflect. We, we, we've all done it. And, and I think if we're honest, we can look at our lives and we can see areas right now. Just let your pride down for a minute. And admit that right now in your life, there's an area where you would say, you know what? I want to see different fruit in that area of my life. I'd like to see better fruit. Just because there's bad fruit in an area, it doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. It doesn't mean that you're not a failure. We are not perfect beings. And so there's always room for improvement. There's always probably areas where we could desire better fruit. And I'll be the first to admit that. There's areas in my life where I say, you know what? I want to, I want to see different fruit there. I did that and, and I don't like what came out of me. I don't like the situation I created. I want different fruit. And so tonight I want to share a message with you called, I want different fruit. Um, how many of you all have kids? When kids are younger, they tend to be kind of picky when it comes to food. And, and my kids, um, yeah, they're picky. I was, I was going to say they're not picky, but yeah, they, they can be picky. And, and if I let them, if I didn't monitor them, they would, uh, Gavin would live the rest of his life eating bread and Gatorade. An occasional bowl of oatmeal. Cora would live off beans and rice till Jesus came back. <laughs> and maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe she's called to the mission field. I, a great percentage of the world lives off of beans and rice. But there's plenty of times where we go out to eat or we, my wife will, you know, prepare a meal and we give it to them and they'll sit there and they have that look and they don't want to touch it. They say, I want something else. I don't want to eat that. I want different fruit. And, and, and we, as their parents, we say, no, you're not leaving the table till you eat that. And it's usually a battle. It's usually a fight. Sometimes we lose. We just, the food's cold. And it's just like, what, what are we even fighting for anymore? Uh, but in life, changing our fruit, when you say, I want different fruit, it's not so easy as just picking or choosing. Okay? Usually fruit, it, it, it comes from somewhere else. Fruit doesn't magically appear. It stems from somewhere deeper. Okay, so it's not just a matter of picking and choosing. And so Jesus, in that same passage we were in, let's go on to verse 43. Jesus shows that the things that come out in our life, uh, there really are issues of the heart. Verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Put your finger right there. Each tree is known by its own fruit. You are known by your fruit. Meaning you are not known by your intentions, you're known by, by what's coming out in your life. The consistent fruit that your life is, is bringing forth, that's what you're known by. Keep reading. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. And then he says this, which you've probably heard. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. 
Meaning what comes out of here ultimately came out of here. Jesus is sharing that our heart is the source of our actions. Our heart is the source of of our, of our, our words and of our actions and the things that are coming out in our life. Meaning that our fruit has origins. Our fruit has a source. It has roots. It has somewhere that it is growing from. And what Jesus has just revealed to us disproves the I slipped myth. Have you ever said those two words? I slipped. You, you said something you regret or you embarrassed yourself or did something you didn't like. You, you knew you were wrong immediately. And, and your excuse is, well, I slipped. That's not me. I, I don't know where that came from. I'm sorry. That, that just slipped. But the truth is, I don't think anything really slips. It came from somewhere. Now, it may not yet be a habitual behavior. It may not be something that you've made a pattern. But if you don't guard this, if you don't keep this in check, those things will start to pop up more frequently. That fruit will start to bud forth uh, more bountifully. And the next thing you know, it will become a lifestyle. It will become something that is habitual. A person's heart is known by what they say and by what they do. And this is why it's not possible to have a godly heart and live an ungodly life. If you say you have a godly heart, then you're going to see godly fruit coming forward. But if someone is living a complete ungodly life, it's not my place to say that they have an ungodly heart. But you see the fruit, I would say check your heart. Check your heart. What is the state of your heart? Because what is coming forth does, does not necessarily line up with what would be Godly, And I'm not, I'm not calling anyone particularly out, but I, I would call you to check your heart. Look at your fruit and say, where is my heart at? And so we have to ask our questions, ask ourselves the question, what is it that we're feeding on? What, what are we feeding ourselves? What are we exposing our heart to? What are we allowing into our lives? Because regardless, we've already established this, regardless of what we use to judge ourselves by or judge others by, whether it's intentions or something else, Jesus has just showed it is our behavior, it is our fruit, not our intentions. And and his teaching applies both to good fruit and evil fruit. It it applies both to good, righteousness, and it applies to evil or, or sinful life. And you've probably heard this quote before, and maybe it's even become cliche to you, but it it says this, what you feed grows and what you starve dies. the, The things that you feed will grow. The things that you starve will die. That's not mind-blowing. That, that, that's, that's biology. That, that's, that's science right there. The things that you feed are going to grow, and the things that you starve are going to die. And, you know, I, I love working in my yard. I love mowing the lawn. I love working with my landscaping and, and planting things, going to Lowe's and picking out stuff, coming home and trying to make it survive. <laughs> but I, I don't have a green thumb. Um, you know, I probably could pay someone else to come and do that and it might look better or last longer. But for me, it's a release. I enjoy it. It's a stress reliever. It's just something I enjoy learning about. Um, and, 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 you know, that's just where I'm at. But I know enough to know that if I take care of those plants or I take care of my yard, if I feed them the essentials, sunlight, fertilizer, water, if they have those things, then they're going to do what? They're going to grow. But if those plants um, do not have roots and, they, and, they, and, they, and they're not fertilized and, and I'm not watering them and they don't get sunlight, then they're going to do what? They're going to dry up and they're going to die. What you feed grows and what you starve dies. In the same way, if you feed something the wrong thing, it could kill it as well. If I spray weed killer on some flowers I just got, they're not going to make it. I'm feeding it the wrong thing. So yes, what we feed grows 
and what we starve dies, but also if we feed the wrong things, something could die as well. And so that's why I would encourage you, identify an area of your life where there's something you don't like, and don't just starve it, but replace it by feeding something else. If, if you are wrestling with worry, starve that worry by feeding your level of worship. If you are, are wrestling with anxiety and stress and fear, starve that by feeding your trust in God by getting in his word. If you are, are, are wrestling with a level of greed or selfishness, don't just, the, the way you starve that, the way you overturn that is by feeding a spirit of generosity. It's not enough to just turn one thing off, but you've got to turn the other thing on. We've got to feed the right things and starve the wrong things. Amen? You guys are quiet. You put in good, what's going to come out? You put in trash, what's going to come out? Trash. Unless it's the DeLorean from Back to the Future. You know, that scene where Doc, there's a banana peel and some trash in there. And I guess that's the fuel for the flux capacitor and then the car works. Everywhere else, trash in, trash out, unless it's the DeLorean. But we've got to feed ourselves good things. We've got to make sure that we are feeding the right things. And, and here's the problem is that many of us are frustrated with what's coming out, but we're too blind or stubborn or prideful to monitor what's coming in. We don't like the outcome, but we are ignoring the intake. Don't you see how that's broken? Don't you see how you're never going to see different fruit if you're not monitoring what you're allowing into your heart? If you want to change the outcome, you've got to monitor that intake. And it's, it's like a, a thief. If you left your home and you left a window open or a door open and a, a thief breaks into your house. Now, does the thief own your house? He doesn't own your house, but until he's removed, he's going to steal. He's going to disrupt. Until he's apprehended and taken out and that door or that window is closed, nothing is ever going to change. So in the same way in your life, until you close the door to those negative things that you've allowed in your heart, until you apprehend whatever that thing is that's causing disruption and, 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 and causing you to bear bad fruit, until you change that, nothing is going to change. You have to apprehend the thief of your soul. You have to, to close any opening that would be allowing negativity or sin into your life. Let's go back and read verse 45. Jesus says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Meaning what comes out here, I just said it, what comes out of here came from here. I shared this story a few years ago. I'll share it with you guys tonight. When I was in uh, middle and high school, I played sports growing up, uh, basketball, soccer, baseball. I enjoyed them all, but soccer was probably one of my favorites. And my senior year, I, I played goalie. I was, I, I was a keeper. And uh, that was the first year I played it, but I was actually pretty good. It kind of makes me wish that I had started playing that at a younger age. But uh, senior year, we, we were playing a, a crosstown rival, two small Christian private schools. And I just remember it was a gloomy day, torrential downpour. The field was just holding water. So it was like an all-out mud battle. And uh, it really was a battle of the defenses because at halftime there was no score. We start the second half of the game, zero to zero, and it's just we were leaving everything on the field. And, and all of a sudden, here I am, I'm, I'm in, my, in my box, in my zone, and one of their midfielders breaks past all of our guys. I look, it's just me, and it's him. 25 yards, 20 yards, he's getting closer. And I have, I have two options as the keeper. I can, I can stay where I'm at, and I can hope that he's going to shoot sooner than later, and that I will be quick enough on my feet to dive and, and block that shot. 
Or I could take a chance and I can make myself big and I can charge out after him in hopes that I'll scare him into taking a bad shot or cut off his angle and, and block it out there. Those are my choices. And so in that split second, I said, I'm going after this guy. And so I come flying out of the goal, arms all out like an eagle or something. And uh, actually, high school, we were the eagles. So that's, that's kind of funny. <laughs> But he goes to shoot, okay? So I, I kind of scared him into making a quick move. So he goes to shoot, and I dove on the ground. I blocked the shot. We kind of collided, and it wasn't unnecessary roughness or anything. So I get up, and I punt the ball down the field, and I actually went to help him up. I actually was doing the right thing. Turn around to help him up. Well, he pulls his arm back, and he got up, and we kind of ran into each other. And he shared some words with me, and I shared some words back with him. And so the game continues to go on, and I notice he doesn't run back up the field. He runs kind of over to his bench, and he's talking to his coach. I'm like, what on earth? So all of a sudden, his coach starts yelling. He's going, referee, referee, their keeper is hurling expletives. Okay, and so you probably say, what? Expletive. I don't know why he said it that way. He, I think he meant expletive, which in layman's terms is a curse word. He was, he was yelling to the world that I was cursing. When truth was, his player cursed me out. I might have said something back. I can't, can't quite remember. But in that moment, here's, here's our, our, all our Christian parent fans on the sidelines. My dad, the pastor of the academy, and all these people, and their coaches just repeatedly, he's hurling expletives. Your keeper's hurling expletives. And I think at a regular high school, that wouldn't matter. But at a Christian match, I think he was hoping I'd get a red card or something. And I don't know. And so this whole time I'm thinking, dear Lord, I, I hope my parents forget. I hope he stops shouting. The game ends and, and no one said anything. We won, by the way, four to, four to zero. And um, we're going to go into the car. and I throw my bag in and my dad kind of looks at me and says, so did you hurl any expletives? <laughs> And I said, I might have hurled an expletive, the, the singular form. And he said, we'll talk about this at home. And so we got home and, and him and my mom, my mom asked me what I said. And I told him, and they said, where did that come from? And what do you think I said? It slipped. <laughs> it slipped. That's not me. I don't talk like that. I don't, it was the heat of the match, you know, heat of the game. I don't know where it came from. Now, the truth is, maybe I wasn't talking like that in front of my parents, but I was, I was talking like that elsewhere. Maybe uh, it was not yet completely a habitual thing, but I was allowing things into my heart that were, you know, jading me to think that it was okay to say that. And you may be saying, big whoop, it was a curse word. You might have cursed since you got here tonight. It's okay. It's under the blood. (laughs) My point is, regardless of of what I said, it didn't appear. It didn't slip. it, It had roots. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The contents of a person's heart are made manifest through their speech and their actions. And if you want to see different fruit, you have to watch what you're feeding. What you feed grows, what you starve dies. Amen? Amen. Amen. So that's, that's like step one, identifying the bad fruit and realizing, okay, I've got to start feeding the right things, starving the wrong things. But often that's where we stop. Often that, that, that's, where, that, that's where we stop and we just begin to modify our behavior. And if we do so, that is an incomplete approach to trying to change the fruit that we see in our lives. That's incomplete. That, that, that's not all that there is to it. And so you say, well, how do I change? And, you know, Scripture has things that, that talk about uh, renewing your mind, but then it also talks about guarding your heart. It's like the chicken or the egg. Which one came first? Which one's more powerful? And, and we often try to correct issues of the heart with the power of our thoughts. We try to change heart issues with brain power, with our will, 
And as long as we're only doing something with the power of our will, like I said, we're going to come up short. We have to surrender our will. You have to surrender your will. What we believe affects how we think. And how we think affects how we speak. And the things that we speak ultimately affect what we see. Ultimately, it becomes fruit. It becomes the reality of the life that we are living. But it all roots back to where? The heart. What you believe affects what you think, what you speak, and then what you see. The emotions of the heart easily overpower the thoughts of the brain. You cannot change a heart issue with the power of the brain. I want to share some research with you that I just find fascinating. In a peaceful valley nestled in the hills of California, just south of Stanford University, sits an eight-year-old privately funded research center called the Institute of Heart Math. Resident and visiting scientists there are making revolutionary discoveries about love, hope, faith, and other insights into human feelings. Their discoveries reported in the prestigious American Journal of Cardiology show that the human heart, what the Bible calls the house or chamber of the human spirit, plays a larger and more independent role in human emotions. They found that there are electrical signals in the heart that actually shape the way the brain thinks. Not only does it shape the way the brain thinks, but also like the brain, the heart has a memory. It remembers every emotional experience we have throughout our lives. As a result, the scientists are now saying that using the heart is proving to be a faster and more direct way to dismantle destructive emotional habits and free the human spirit that is too often a prisoner of these habits. This is, an inc- this is incredible because they are now linking the heart to human behavior. Clinical psychologist Paul Pearsall makes a case that the heart is a vault of emotional memories and energy patterns that make us who we are as individuals. As partial evidence, he recounts stories of heart transplant patients who without any explanation have taken on the character, including the tastes, attitudes, and even memories of their donors, people who they knew no- absolutely nothing about. In one example, a man who received the heart of a person who was hit by a train began having recurring dreams in which he was driving a truck hit by a train. In another example, a woman whose donor had been shot in the back began complaining of shooting pains in her back following her transplant. And yet another example, a 52-year-old man who loved classical music was given the heart of a 15-year-old boy. And without knowing who his donor was, suddenly he had a newfound love for rock music. Another heart transplant patient suddenly became prone to bouts of depression. He didn't know his donor was a young woman whose family described her as being prone to depression. Some say that these are mere coincidences, surges of joy, energy, or emotion from being granted a second chance to live or resulting from the trauma of transplant surgery, but others are harder to explain. A psychologist told Pearsall the story of a patient, an eight-year-old girl who was given the heart of a murdered child. After surgery, the girl began to have nightmares. Those nightmares led to her ability to describe the circumstances of the other little girl's death. She was even able to describe in such detail the killer that the police were able to capture him and a jury convicted him of murder. Dr. Benjamin Bonzel of Vienna's University Hospital wrote in a 1992 study linking heart transplants to changes in one's personality. Heart transplantation is not simply the replacing of an organ. The heart is a source of love, emotion, and focus of personality. The organ may define the essential character of our whole existence. Scientists may be taking the first steps in understanding the human spirit and the human soul. The chief scientist at HeartMath, Roland McCready, has presented evidence that supports Pearsall's discoveries. 
and 91, medical literature recognized that the heart has its own brain, a network of different kinds of neurons identical to the many kinds of neurons and networks that you find in the brain. The brain and the heart is actually connected to the brain in our head by a nerve system made up of thousands of filaments flashing messages continually between the two. The heart actually emits an electromagnetic signal that is up to 5,000 times stronger than the brain. This is why impressions of the heart can be more powerful than what you are thinking and reasoning in your brain. For example, the struggle between heart and head or peace versus reasoning. This means that the emotions of the heart can and do easily overpower the thoughts of the brain. And this way, the ideas and memories are felt throughout the body. The evidence shows that the heart receives and processes information similar to the brain. If the information is positive, the brain receives it as a positive. If the information is negative, it receives and processes it as a negative. As people experience sincere, positive feelings, this information from the heart to the brain helps you think not only more clearly, but also more creatively. Is that not mind-blowing? And really what science is showing is what Jesus said right there in, in one verse. That, that, that the things, uh, that a tree is known by its fruit. That, 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 that the things that happen in life stem from a much deeper place. The heart has more to do with our lives than our brain actually does. And so this is why our approach to changing the fruit in our life or to changing the state of our heart is often incomplete because we do so just with our willpower. Again, we're trying to change our heart with our will or with our mind. And, and we start off and we ask God to reveal where we need to change. And then we ask for help in changing. And then what we usually do is we begin to modify our behavior. We apply spiritual disciplines and, 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 and we pray and, and we do the things that we know to do. And those are great. They're necessary. They're needed on a daily basis. But we still come up short if we only focus on that and refuse to address the beliefs of the heart. Okay, and, th- and this may be getting deep for us. And maybe you're, you're trying to wrap your mind around this. But ultimately what's happening is we modify our behavior and we fail to change our beliefs. Now, I'm not saying you have to change what you believe about God, but I think you need to reevaluate in your heart what it is you believe about yourself. Are you viewing yourself the way God sees you? Are you believing about yourself what God believes about you? Pastor Tim said this last Sunday, if you don't know who you are, you'll end up being something less than who you are. We, We want deliverance. We want discipleship. But what we really need most is identity. Yes, we need deliverance. Yes, we need discipleship, but we need identity, meaning we need to know who God created us to be and how he sees us. Because if we miss out on that, everything else is just going through the motions. We have to see who God created us to be. What do we believe about ourselves? How many of y'all were here a a, a few months ago when I talked about the, uh, the anatomy of a stronghold? And reversing the lie. Basically, just to, to give you a, a, a quick refresher on that, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. But a lot of us have strongholds in our lives. And what you have to do is trace it back to a lot of times there's events in our lives that usually is a negative event. And when that event happens, what we usually do is we believe a lie about that event. And in turn, we, we accept that lie about the event, about ourselves. 
And because it's so hard, we develop coping behaviors, coping mechanisms. And those behaviors perpetuate, those cycles continue. And, and, and until we reverse that lie, until we go back to that event and say, what did God say about me? What does God say about that event? As long as we're believing the lie, those behaviors will continue. And the same is true here. We have to have a proper identity in Christ. And could it be just maybe, just maybe that we have a wrong identity because of the things that we have led into our heart? Could it be maybe that we have the wrong view of ourselves because of the things that we have fed our heart? The things, maybe not even that we allowed, but things that were done to us. The state of our heart, what we believe there about ourselves affects everything else. And our fruit goes back to our identity and that resides in our hearts. I want you to go to one last passage with me as we prepare to close. This is Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. And you, you've probably heard this many times. Paul's writing, he says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. You'll be saved. Now, most oftentimes we use this as a, as a salvation scripture, right? Salvation is a, a free gift to us. Anyone can have it. All you have to do is believe in your confess with your mouth and you will be saved. But I, I, I want to go on. Uh, verse 10, it says, for with the heart one believes. With the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. With the heart one believes unto righteousness. What we believe matters. And our righteousness is not established necessarily by what we do. Our righteousness is established by what we believe. Our, right, our righteousness is not established by what we do, but it's established by what he did. What we believe about that, and in turn, what we believe about ourselves. And so, so Paul's prayer for Israel is, is, is for salvation, that they would be saved. But all their zeal, all their effort, all their energy is that they're trying to work out their righteousness on their own. They're trying to achieve it on their own. And we know that can never be done. We know that our righteousness is only because of him. And that's why if we're trying to change our fruit or fix our heart with our will or with our mind, we're going to come up short. Our belief in him and in what he did and what he says about us, that is where our righteousness is rooted believe and confess. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. Confess what? God's word. It's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that has a power to make a difference in your life. Because guys, what we believe affects what we think, affects what we say or what we speak, and ultimately affects what we see in our lives. And the heart is the source of our fruit. If we want to change the fruit that we see on our life, then we have to change what it is that we believe right here. Did you get anything out of this tonight? Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected with us by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala.